971 FM Talk Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. This is a 97.1 FM Talk. This is the Medical Beat, formerly known as the Ion Health Show. So we're here with the Medical Beat, and we've got uh, Dr. Sony Sakrani as co-host. We have Nancy Spargo here as our guest, and we'll talk more about her in just a moment. We have Carl on the board. Hello. Say hi, Carl. Hello, everyone. Hello. And, uh, oh, and I almost forgot about me, Dr. Steve Harvey, uh, Good your job, host. Good doctor. What's that? Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yay me. So <laughs> today, today we have, uh, as our guest, we have uh, Nancy Spargo, who is CEO. Tell me if I got this right. She is CEO of Sparlin Mental Health. Good job. Thank you. Yay. All right. Hey, t- two in a row there. And uh, and that's a, a large mental health practice, uh, somewhat specializing in trauma and trauma-informed care, I think. But uh, <laughs> but before I venture into stuff I don't know anything about, uh, let's uh, let me turn this over to Nancy. Can could you tell us about? Let's start with this. Can you tell us about uh, trauma-informed care? What, what is it, and what's it for, and uh, What's that all about? I would love to, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about trauma-informed care. I'm just a little passionate about this topic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, trauma-informed care is an approach to delivering any type of human service. It can be done by anybody, regardless of your degree, regardless of the sector, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's medical, school, anything that is human services. And what it is, is it's an approach to how you deliver your services that is defined by what SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, Mm -hmm. defines trauma-informed care by the four core assumptions and five key principles. And so I can tell you what those are uh, if you like, but but that's what trauma-informed care is. Yeah, yeah. So so it's uh, all about being... uh being sensitive and aware to issues people might have due to trauma? Well, it, the, the, the four R's, so yeah. to speak, uh-huh. um, to recognize the, ah. the trauma when yeah. it's in action. Uh-huh. Um, how do you understand people's behaviors, their attitudes, their interactions? Is there, is there a trauma influence in that? Yeah. To recognize that trauma is pervasive. Mm-hmm. If you start looking at the numbers, there's... There's hardly anybody who doesn't have some form of trauma along the way, um, if not multiple forms of trauma. To be able to see that there are pathways to recovery is Mm -hmm. also super important, and that it is a a comprehensive approach. It's not just delivering services. It's, It's the way an organization functions. It's the way employees are supported and cared for. It's, it's the entire organization. Oh, and okay. yeah. the fourth R is to avoid re-traumatization. And yes. so to be very intentional as to where, where the risks might lie and, mm-hmm. and how to avoid those. Nancy, mm-hmm. I was very uh, impressed by you including the, one of the R's which said that it is pervasive. Uh, uh, yeah, that's not my work. Perv- that's yes. some, that's SAMHSA's yeah. work. Yeah. And so that is, I think... The most important thing is it is pervasive. It, and as we recognize trauma and uh, as, a, as a community, as a country, as a society, we understand that it is not only in specific populations like those who have gone to war, but it is pervasive 
in general populations, in daily interactions with people who you may not have understood their life stories and uh, people Mm. who have trauma are walking among us. And how Everywhere. do we? Yes, yeah. and how yeah. do we respond to it? That's uh, appreciate appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess the I guess there's a lot of different sources of trauma, but I guess the people usually think of uh, of wartime trauma or sexual assault. Uh, I guess there's a, the, the the list doesn't stop there. I guess there's a lot of different types oh, of trauma by, that by we're no talking means. about. Yeah. People, I think people traditionally think about trauma as an individual experience yeah, right. um, by and large. So whether it's, you know, due to war or uh, interpersonal trauma such as sexual yeah. assault, sexual abuse, domestic violence, those mm. kinds of things, even neglect is yes. traumatic for Absolutely. a child. Absolutely. In children, yes, yeah. yes. And, and so I think that used to be what people would understand as trauma. And to be very honest... Trauma carries, still carries, unfortunately, a stigma because people look at the impact of trauma as being somehow reflective of your character, mm. that somehow that makes you damaged or less than in some way. And so there's all this stigma. But in reality, trauma can result from institutionalized racism. Trauma mm-hmm. can result from living in poverty, from being homeless. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Any kind of oppression, if you are a part of the LGBT community yeah. and you have been oppressed, mm-hmm. that you could have had all kinds of traumatic experiences. And yes. so yeah. one of the things that I like to point out is the actual definition of trauma. Yeah. Um, and so trauma, yeah. trauma is an experience where somebody either perceives or really is in imminent danger. Yeah. So it can be you directly, or it can be somebody that that you care about, that you love and care about. Yeah. And that experience overwhelms your ability your daily, to cope. Yeah. Oh, and your daily yeah. function. It affects right. your daily function. Right. So yeah. SAMHSA talks about the three E's. There's an event. Mm-hmm. There's an event that you can identify. Mm-hmm. There's a car crash, for example. Yeah. And then there's your experience of that event. So how do you react in the here and now after that car crash? And then there are the effects. And the effects are what lasts. So do you have nightmares? Are you afraid to drive? Do you not want to drive with somebody else? Do you avoid that intersection? Et cetera, et cetera. So you have three E's, the event, the experience, and the effects. And again, that's from SAMHSA. We're not in the age of just pulling yourself up, sucking it up, and moving on. We're in the age of actually saying this happened this must be serious and you're affected by it yeah. and what can we do about it and yeah. it's normal to be affected by this absolutely yeah yeah the, the the event itself may not be a normal event so neglect or sexual abuse something like that yeah. we we don't want to consider that a, a normal event no, but the response yeah. Yeah. to that it's event very is very much normal and people don't understand that yes yeah yeah and then as you said, just a, a large fraction of people out there have suffered from some kind of trauma, and they carry that trauma with them every day. So every single day, every single day. So, so we have to know about what can we do to to make that better and and to and to to mitigate that problem. So, yeah. Well, to be very honest, trauma impacts upon how people can access services, ah, oh, how big, they can yeah, how they absolutely. can make use of services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It it impacts upon how. Uh, the employees, the providers, uh-huh. deliver their services. So, right. I mean, there there are a lot of um, 
I guess a lot of layers. A layers a is a good way yeah, to say it. Yeah, yeah. And we're, nope. we're and we're going to talk about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about that when we come back right after these messages. We're back. I still have my yeah. This is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM Talk. We got me, Dr. Steve Harvey. We have Dr. Sony Sacrani co-hosting. Hello. Hello. And we have Nancy, Nancy Spargo from Sparlin Mental Health telling us about Telling us about uh, telling us about a very important topic, which is trauma, and I think I think there's sort of two different topics we've been bouncing back and forth between. So, so we've been talking about uh, trauma itself and the treatment of trauma, and we've also been talking about uh, trauma informed care. So, just just to make sure we got our heads on straight here, can you? Kind of tell us about what's the difference between the two and what are those two different things? How do we understand that? I'm yeah. so glad you asked because yeah. this is confusing to a whole lot of people, including yeah. some of the professionals. Trauma treatment is the actual intervention to help somebody recover from trauma. So, for example, if you have PTSD, which is the diagnosis that most people are familiar with when it comes to trauma, if you have PTSD, there are treatments for um eliminating the symptoms of, or significantly reducing, if not eliminating, the symptoms of PTSD. So, for yeah. example, at Sparlin, we use prolonged exposure for treating PTSD because that's the gold, that's the gold standard for mm-hmm. PTSD. That's a trauma treatment yeah. focused on an individual. Yeah. Trauma-informed care is an approach, and it's an approach of the entire organization to how they function, how they deliver their services, how they, um, again, how they support their staff, how they write their policies and procedures. It's it's the how that yeah. counts when it comes to trauma-informed care. Nancy, yeah. what kind of organizations are you um, interacting with when you say uh, organizations in delivering care? Are these businesses? Are these mental health organizations? What kind of organizations have you dealt with? Oh, I've dealt with schools, even, sure. in fact, adult learning schools, I've dealt <clears throat> with substance use providers, domestic violence providers, homeless providers, mm. um, mental health mm. providers, child welfare providers. Um, again, oh. that just about any sector you can think of sure. um, would find this helpful in terms of improving their services, improving the effectiveness of their services and improving their outcomes. So yeah. this is for people who come to them? And as well as people who work in the organization, for sure. is that right? For sure. Yeah, yeah. And can can you give us an example or two of of uh, of like a organization that uh, like of of how uh, trauma informed care improves the care delivery from from an organization? So it's usually at multiple levels. Yeah. It's um, again, most people start with the the participants or the clients. Yeah. the patients, right, that are uh-huh. being served. But to be very honest, if, so there's something called secondary traumatic stress or vicarious trauma. Yeah. And basically, in, in a very simple, <laughs> brief nutshell, what secondary traumatic stress is, is the impact of witnessing other people's experiences, traumatic experiences, oh, yeah. on the person who is actually the helper. Right. right? Yeah. And so that takes its toll, which yeah. it, it's normal that it would take its toll. And mm-hmm. to be very honest, that's what that's what makes us good is because we care and because we yeah. feel that. 
yeah. right? If we didn't care and we didn't feel that, we, we would really be insensitive and would not be able to help people. Yes, yes. <laughs> Plain and simple. So that vicarious trauma can really wreak havoc with the workforce. It yeah. can cause burnout. People can leave the field if they don't have the adequate supports and they're not intentional about how they're going to manage that. Mm-hmm. Now you have staff turnover. Oh, and staff yeah. turnover is costly, both in terms of client care, patient care, as well as the expense of hiring and onboarding a new employee. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, right? so people yeah. in some types of jobs are exposed to a lot of trauma, That's even right. if it's witnessing other people's right. horrible things. So I was yeah. working in a school, for example, um, that is a career school, and the, the students were sharing their experiences both in the classroom formally as well as outside the classroom informally. And the the instructors did not have the supports they needed to be able to know how to respond or what to do with that. And so it was really taking a toll on the instructors themselves. So we we had to make sure that we were taking better care of the instructors so that then they in turn could take better care of the students. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Nancy, do you see that uh, in delivery or in the process of trauma-informed care, people's mindsets have changed in in asking questions in looking at broader scopes of the environment around them i think i think it's about how do you make sense out of things it's about conceptualizing how do you understand you can look uh, for example a, a child in a classroom a small child in a classroom who is not focused who is not on task yeah, yeah right yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a, you can look at that child as being non-compliant or being a bad child. Um, <laughs> you can mm-hmm. take it personally, even sure. if you're the teacher, right? Why wasn't why doesn't this student care about what I want him to him or her to do? And you can also look at it as what happened. Why is the student di- distracted? There's did something happen that is caught that's getting in the way of this student being able to do their work, yeah. and your, your approach as a teacher is going to be very different Sure. if you are concerned that something might have happened to interfere with the student's learning as opposed to if you assume that the student is just being, quote-unquote, bad. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you think the student's being bad, then you're going you're gonna to set a limit. You're going to tell them to get on task. You're, it's going to be somewhat of a reprimand, whereas if you're concerned that something might have happened, you're going to be that much more gentle and tender yeah. And understanding, and there's not going to be the reprimand nor the shame. Right, that right. That student is disappointing. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of this is all about awareness. It sounds like there's a huge yeah. role of awareness. Yeah, just just being aware of that. How yeah. do you how do you understand things? Yeah, and yeah. being willing to ask the questions. So and and not jumping to conclusions. Yeah, and that part's got to be tough as far as asking questions because you know then it might be someone you don't know that well, and how do you deeper right. personal kinds of things. So, so, so there's that, how, how, and, and, and this is a very broad question, but how, how do you go about asking someone if, if you suspect, if you suspect well, that maybe there's some kind of traumatic let, event? Let me be very, very clear. I don't yeah. suggest that anybody go around asking people if they have a trauma history. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, yeah. that in and of itself, yes. yeah. that in and of itself could be re-traumatizing. Yeah. 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 Don't, and don't try this at home, kids. It, it, yeah, there's no, there's right. no license don't want to for do that. being intrusive. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead, so how do you approach that? Yeah. Instead, I think it's important to use some compassion yeah. okay. and some kindness. 
you know, we're all moving so fast and we have all been pushed to think about ourselves first mm-hmm. in many contexts. And and so, you know, if somebody does something while you're driving to to, you know, make you mad or whatever, we we could just think that person's a jerk. Right. That right. that person has, you know, no interpersonal skills, whatever. Yes. But what if that person is trying to rush to the hospital because somebody just ended up in the ER? Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole different understanding. So so just using some compassion to not jump to the conclusion that people are mean or, or jerks or whatever, but yeah. to understand that there's a lot we don't know. Oh, yeah. There, there's always there a, story a story there. Behind that, it. There's always a story there's behind it. There's always a story. Yeah. No matter, you may have to go back a little ways to get the story. It might not be fresh today, but there's always a story. And so to assume that people are doing the best they can. Yeah. And not to think that people are just being bad or inconsiderate. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I think that's super important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It brings a total diff- a total uh, level of awareness that is beyond yourself. That it's not about being offended by somebody else's response to you, but taking a step back and understanding, is there something going on well, and- that I need to know about or... And, and I'm telling you this because, um, you know, at different levels of access of services, it just gets very important to remember it's just not about the one who's interviewing. And Well, the, regardless of where you're at, I don't care if you're at the gas station. or Absolutely. You know, yeah. the bottom line is if somebody is overreacting, in your opinion, somebody's reacting in a way that you don't expect, you can take that personally and think that this is about you. You know, why are they right. giving me such a hard time? Or you can step back and say, this has nothing to do with me. Right. Something has happened and this person is struggling. Yes. Yes. Right. That's a whole different understanding of why somebody might be reacting as they are. Yeah. Yeah. And And so, again, it's it's about compassion versus assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and it's learning that it's it's not all about you, which I think is a message a lot of people haven't haven't learned yet. We we take things personally (laughs) way too often. We sure do. We sure do. And we'll be back. All right, we're back. 97.1 FM Talk. This is The Medical Beat, formerly known as Ion Health. And we're here today with uh, Nancy Spargo, CEO of Sparlin Mental Health. And uh, we were... uh, we were talking about some stuff off the air. So, so Sony, what, what was that question we were asking uh, Nancy? We were asking Nancy as to how is trauma-informed care learned and implemented by organizations? Is this like uh, something that you just do one time? Is this an ongoing process? And Nancy, help us out with that. Yeah. Again, another great question. The, again, there are two in one here. To learn about trauma is one thing. Sure. And, and in order to be trauma-informed, you have to understand trauma. Yeah. You need to know the impact of trauma. You need to know how trauma manifests in, in our yeah. lives on a daily basis, in our relationships, in, the, in our worldviews. Everything about us re- is reflected in that, in that traumatic experience that impacts upon who we are, how we are, and, and our views. So... We have to know trauma yeah, in order to become trauma-informed. Absolutely. Right? And that's not in and of itself trauma-informed. To know trauma, I say to speak trauma. I'm a language person, and so I talk about speaking trauma and the fluency 
that we might have in speaking trauma. Like, how much do you know about trauma and the impact of trauma? And so it's it's our duty to understand that, to, yeah. to know the impact of trauma and to know that well. In order to become trauma-informed, then, we have to take our knowledge of trauma and be able to apply those those four R's and five principles that I referred to before. And quite honestly, that's where I think people get um, overwhelmed, stuck, confused. This is a big process. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. You're talking about a cultural transformation of an Absolutely. organization. Yeah. Yeah. And so it can take anywhere from two to five years to become trauma-informed as an organization. Having trauma training is important. That does not make you trauma-informed. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not yeah. like, hey, I saw the PowerPoints. Well, we're good now. Yeah, yeah more that's, than that. You may know something about trauma, but as as somebody who also is an educator, I'm adjunct faculty at Wash U, mm-hmm. learning does not happen from viewing a PowerPoint. Right. right. Very little, it's about the It's about yeah. the application. It's about the implementation. And I think that's where people get hung up. How do I know that I'm doing something in a trauma-informed way? Does mm-hmm. that actually how do mean... I, Will that mean the transformation of a person as well and not only the organization? It's a transformation of how you understand things. It's a transformation of how you approach things, yeah. right? And yeah. and it's about being very intentional in your efforts to avoid re-traumatization. Yeah. yeah. Very, so, very intentional. So is the education done? Um, and so I understand the education cannot be done just as a one-time event. As, as you said, it should be a process and sometimes takes many, many years of ongoing building of skills upon itself and continuing to practice it mm-hmm. in the organization. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it includes the policies and procedures. It includes mm. staff benefits and compensation packages. It involves the board of directors for a nonprofit organization. Mm. This is all-inclusive, right? It, it's, it's hard work, and at the same time, the results of that hard work are transformational, both in terms of the participants' experience as well as the employees' experience. So it's it's a very serious commitment to become trauma-informed, and it's not something that you can do quickly. Right. It's it's just not going to work that way. Now, do you have any programs for individuals? Do you have any programs? I I do know that you, you... um, are able to connect with organizations. But as an individual, if you wanted to start being trauma-informed, how can people access that approach, that education? Quite honestly, there are a lot of resources now for becoming trauma-informed. There are um, multiple models mm-hmm. of how to become trauma-informed. Um, at Sparland, we have our own model. And it is a very comprehensive model and um, includes a preparation period that many other models do not include. We have the Missouri model, which was developed by the Trauma Roundtable of Missouri Mm -hmm. back in 2012. Uh, Mm -hmm. We started meeting as the Trauma Roundtable. We have um, Sandra Bloom and um, Brian Farragher's model, the Sanctuary model, Mm-hmm. which, again, is very good for an organizational approach. Yeah. And we even have what they call TIP 57 from SAMHSA, the Substance uh-huh. Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, that is available online for download yeah. or um, ordering. 
Yeah. Can you tell us more about about the model you guys are using in your training and and more about what, what Sparlin Mental Health does? So Sparlin Mental Health, we have a training institute, and we offer trainings to the community at large, uh-huh. uh, to other professionals, other providers of all kinds. And, and um, so we always announce those through our listserv and through our website when we're offering trainings. Um, and then we also contract with other agencies who are interested in becoming trauma-informed and want that coaching, want that guidance, yeah. or want... The, the actual skill development around trauma specifically. Yeah. Um, so that's some of the work that we do mm-hmm. at, yeah. at Spiral Mental Health. Any yeah. specific length of time for the courses that you have? No, I have a leadership academy for trauma-informed care that um, started out, to be very honest, as five half days and multiple learning labs. Uh-huh. Um, I actually took that and turned it into a course, a three-hour course at the Brown School, uh-huh. and I have whittled it down to a one-day training for those who just need a brief introduction. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have all different versions of that of that training, but it's about it's for the leaders, the organizational leaders, so that they know what to expect and how it works. Yes. So that's a yeah. good place to start. Would that be? Would you consider if, that if a you good are place? if you're in a leadership role? For yeah, sure. Right. Right. Yeah. And do you do any presentations in the community on introducing trauma-informed care to different places? Too many to count. Is that <laughs> right? Yeah, we all Too many it, to count. We? You know, I, I think, well, there's, you know. yeah. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there as to what trauma-informed care is and how huh. to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's a new field. Absolutely. It, it, it started in 1994. And so, and that was through, again, SAMHSA that organized the first conference. So before 1994, there wasn't a field of trauma-informed care. Yeah. Um, yeah. We yeah. have become sensitive and more tolerant as hopefully as a community because of understanding that there is trauma out there. But now our next step is how do we access and how do we improve our skills with right. trauma? Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think I think it's important. Um, one of the things that Sparlin also works on is access to care, mm-hmm. and the quality of the services that are available. So it's it's not easy finding um, services depending upon your resources, your location, etc. Yeah. It's not always easy to find the Somebody. the specific resources you need mm-hmm. to be able to treat trauma or to learn how to become trauma informed. Right. Yeah. Both and. Yeah. yeah. And and if there are people out there who are interested in uh, their organization uh, becoming educated in trauma informed care, what how how would they find you guys? What's the what's the best place? How's what's the easiest way to find you guys on uh, Google? Well, there's or, a telephone number. <laughs> telephone number. Okay. Let, let's and, go with the and website. There's a website. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's Spar- SparlinMentalHealth.com. <laughs> Didn't have my reading glasses with me, so I couldn't read that card. SparlinMentalHealth.com. dot com. Okay. Well, great discussion. Thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Yeah. That was wonderful. Yeah. My and pleasure. Yeah, and we're going to be back. Nancy will still be here with us, and we're going to talk about the coronavirus. What else? And now for a moment of science. Science. We're going to have a moment of science, people. We want uh, true science, Steve. True science. Yes. I believe. 
Not all the time. <laughs> That's right. True science. 97.1. This is the medical beat. And this is our feature, A Moment of Science. We're going to be talking today about uh, the coronavirus outbreak. Have you guys heard about that? No. <laughs> what is that? Please tell it's, us it's, a little bit. It's a thing. It's a thing that's happening. And uh, so, so, boy, we could spend several whole shows on that, but we have, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. So, uh, hey, we're going to condense it. But so it, it's a whole lot has changed just in the last couple of days. We have uh, the NHL, the NBA, the X, XFL all canceling schools, parades, declarations of emergency in, in states and in the country. Uh, and just in the last couple of days, uh, we started taking it, uh, taking things very, very seriously. Even so, clinics. Even, even clinics. clinics are being changed. Right. So, so a whole lot has been happening uh, just recently. And so there's a whole lot we can say about this. And I think Probably the best place to start is one thing that you hear a lot. You've probably heard a lot of people say something like, why are we making such a big deal out of this when the flu kills so many more people than coronavirus? And that's a that's a legitimate point and a legitimate half-truth. I mean, the, the part that's true is that the flu kills something like thirty five to 40,000 people per year in the United States, and coronavirus has killed, you know, still just in the double digits, a much, much smaller number. So so those parts are, are true. Why are we making yeah. such a big focus on this? So help us, yes. Steve. Yes. Let us understand this. <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll just do that. Well, th- thank you for asking, Sony. So, so uh, here's the deal. One thing is that if someone catches uh, COVID, or the 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 coronavirus that causes this particular illness, which we'll refer to as COVID. If someone catches that, the chances of death are something like 10 to 20 times greater than that of the flu. So if you get it, it's quite a bit more dangerous, especially if you're in certain demographics. The other thing, the other important point is that the spreadability, that's a word I just now made up, but the spreadability of COVID is much greater than the spreadability of the flu. So now that it's here, now that we've got it, it is spreading very fast. It is it is spreading quickly, and and this is not this is not conjecture. It's direct observation that this has been spreading in other parts of the world. And there's there's nothing. There, there, we're not supermen in America. Right. It's going to happen to us like it is. Like it, it has it is traveled beyond the borders of countries, and so it is time to take it seriously. Absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. And I think the. The other concern here is that with that fast spreading and with a lot of people who get the illness needing, you know, even if they, even the people who get very ill but are going to survive, they'll need, uh, they might need uh, intensive care unit, they might need a ventilator. We could very, we, we very well could get in a situation where the number of very, very, very sick people greatly exceeds the capacity of the hospitals. hospitals right. So we could end up uh, like they're like we have in Italy now where we have sort of a hellscape of hospitals with, you know, beds in the hallways, beds in the lobbies, gymnasiums packed with cots with sick people in it and physicians having to decide who lives and who dies because there's not enough ventilators to go around. Right. So that's that's the other concern about this. Um, so we have we have good news and bad news uh, that this happened recently to, to help us get all this in context. One of the one of the pieces of good news is that things are looking a lot better, or I should say, a lot less bad 
in China. Uh, China's where all this began. Most of the cases are still in China. But the good news is they have been able to start getting this under control. The number of new cases in China is now very small each day, a very small number of new cases every day. So there's a lot more people recovering than there are getting it in China. So that's that, definitely good news. That's definitely good news. And, and, and it, proves that, uh, it proves that we can defeat the virus if we, uh, if we make enough points. And uh, another piece of good news is that in South Korea, uh, they had a horrible outbreak there, but they're, they're getting that. It's bad, but they're getting it under control. And, uh, and also, I think in the United States, we've finally snapped out of our slumber and we're starting to do stuff here, too. And that, whether it's too late or not, it remains to be seen, but that's going to be a huge help. So now for the bad news. We're reducing spreadability, Steve. We are reducing spreadability. Yes. Yes. I'm standing several feet away from Sony, and I'm standing even further away from Nancy here. And so, definitely further away from Carl. Yeah, way far away from Carl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we're, we're doing that social distancing thing. Um, so so on the bad news side, thing, things are really bad in China, really bad in Iran, uh, a lot of very scary stories. I think um, really bad in Italy. Really bad in Italy. Did I say Italy? Ch- you said China. but Oh, my gosh. Did I say China? I meant Italy. Sorry. I mean, it is bad in China, too. But, yeah, yeah, sorry. I meant to say Italy. So things are really bad in Italy, really bad in Iran. Uh, and the other piece of bad news is in the USA, we're way behind in testing people uh, for the coronavirus. Other, other countries like South Korea tests more people each day than we have total in the entire outbreak. So, so what we know is how many confirmed cases we have, but we're doing a really, really bad job of testing. If someone is sick and needs a coronavirus test, they're probably not going to get it. Correct. Probably not going to get it. And, uh, so that's that's the bad news. That that's we think that's going to get fixed, but we don't know when. Don't know don't know how. Well, going to the hopeful news. Yeah, is okay, that let's do that. Here in St. Louis City and County, yes. we're now starting to have drive-through testing set up, yes. conceptualized, like they do in South Korea. Yes. Yes, and so we're moving towards this process, and hopefully, we'll start understanding who needs it. Right. Just don't drive up to those drive-through testing. Make your yes. appointments as right. the as you're instructed. Yeah, they have but some kind of procedure. You have to call correct. ahead. You've got to call, call and there is a procedure in place. Yeah. But we are moving. We are actually going down this process and doing the setups and trying to put this under control. And yes. again, we have canceled so many big events here in the city and county yeah. and surrounding counties to be able to reduce that harm and threat right. of exposure. Which is exactly what we needed to do. And Absolutely. I, and, and his history has proven that that makes a really big difference. I think like it's Absolutely. Just not, to, not to delve too far into it, but the, uh, the Spanish flu in 1918, St. Louis clamped down. Yes. Philadelphia did not. Philadelphia had bodies piling up in St. Louis did relatively well. So we, we so today we have to we have to do the right thing and if if you wait till things are really really bad then that's too late. Cow, cows out of the barn. Cows be kind barn. to people. Yeah. Everybody's in the same boat but yeah. with social distancing. With so, so let's be kind to each other. Be kind to each other at a distance. Be kind but don't touch. So best case scenario is that we look back all this and say hey we overreacted it's not that bad. That's the best case scenario. That's the best way that this could turn out. Worst case scenario is we end up like a gigantic version of Italy, 
uh, with a huge death toll and, and economic, uh, economic hardship all around. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in between. Hopefully it'll be more toward the best case scenario. And, and uh, I'm feeling a lot better about this now because yes. people are acting and doing the right yes. thing. So what can we do? We can test people, social distancing, wash your hands, darn it. Wash your hands. Don't panic and, and stop spreading around misinformation. You know, that meme you posted on Facebook, it's baloney. I read it. It's not true. Stop posting that crud on Facebook. Wash your hands. So Socially you distance yourself. Yeah. So thank you. For, and thank you for being here, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. You're very welcome. That was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Sparling mental health. All right. So we talked about all the stuff, and uh, Carl is signaling me. Out we go. Ciao. Get more at 971talk.com.